0: From Washington, this is Talking Tax. I'm David Schultz. Democrats on the House Ways and Means Committee uncorked the champagne this week after advancing President Biden's multi-trillion dollar economic plan. But several items in the president's proposal were conspicuously absent, including a plan to overhaul the way capital gains are taxed. Why? If Democrats control the House, why make the legislation more modest? Did the razor-thin margin they have in the Senate have anything to do with it? To find out, we're speaking today with two tax lobbyists, one Democratic and one Republican, both with the law firm Bracewell. Yasmin Nelson was a former senior policy advisor to then-Senator Kamala Harris and is now a senior principal at Bracewell. Liam Donovan, also a Bracewell principal, previously worked for Texas Senator John Cornyn and the National Republican Senatorial Committee. They both spoke with Bloomberg Tax's Colin Wilhelm about the next steps for this tax package and whether it could get pared back even more as the measure works its way through Washington's legislative meat
1: grinder. Can you... Kind of bring us up to speed on some of the highlights of what's happened this week and, and where things stand?
2: Yeah, I think, you know, if, you, if you're looking at um, how this went down and kind of the uncertainties surrounding um, after the House came back and was able to sort of push through the resolution with a little bit of work, um, I think it was unclear how smoothly this process was going to go. And the fact that in just, you know, 10 short days, they've managed to push through in 13 different committees uh, more than $3.5 trillion worth of. of you know goodies uh, with more than three trillion dollars worth of offsets. I think um, that was was definitely not assured, um, and it wasn't even necessarily assured that they would try to do that. And so I think what's most interesting is where they go from here. Um, of course, they've now they've now pushed these pieces through at the committee level, but I think our conventional wisdom is at least that this is not what the house is going to bring to the floor that there's going to be changes uh happening maybe at the rules committee or otherwise uh and so we're sort of in this interesting holding pattern but at the same time you have um you really only 10 11 days until you're colliding with the next deadline that the house is dealing with and of course there's lots of things looming on the horizon that aren't reconciliation related
3: right that's right uh you know we, there are so many things that I think that uh, Liam hit on just now that 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 kind of set the the tone uh, for what to expect. Uh, you know, d- Democrats were able to agree on a number of things in 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 the committee process, but you know, surprisingly, there were some things that they openly did not agree to, and I think a number of people uh, were were kind of shocked at. Some of the reaction to, to to the opposition to Chairman, right, um, in in the committees, and so um, you know, like Liam mentioned, there are so many deadlines coming up uh, that they are that they are constantly keeping in the back of their mind when it comes to not just reconciliation but the debt limit and and um, you know things of uh, things like that, right? So I mean, it's it's a it's a really trying time for Democrats. So it's a uh, it's it's going to be very very. Interesting. I think over, uh, they have like uh, 10, 10, 12 days to kind of figure something, figure something out. So um, it, it'll be a good one.
1: And you're, you mentioned um, some of the drama that happened at the Energy and Commerce Committee. Can you explain that a little bit more? Because even though it's not a tax provision and we've got a tax audience... I think it's still relevant to the overall budgetary picture and, and what's happening on the tax side, since it affects their the numbers that they're trying to move around.
3: Yeah, well, um, on the Energy and Commerce Committee, there were three members of Congress who essentially defected uh, from uh, the from Chairman. It was, I think, a shock to a number of progressives and and uh, you know to a number of uh, Democratic audiences. It just, um, I think for a number of people, came off as something that, you know, uh, should have been maybe resolved before getting to that point. Uh, essentially, you know, there were three members of Congress who joined with Republicans and um, because of the tie, right, the provision was not successful. And and so um, I think that, you know, there are a number of people who believe that this, it, it didn't actually actually die um, because they will be, you know, th- thinking it through on the floor, um, at, you know, at some point in, in, in the future when Nancy Pelosi brings it to the floor. But uh, as far as, you know, it happening at the at the committee level, it died. And and, and that was that was very interesting.
2: Yeah. Colin, you mentioned, you know, this is this is a tax audience. And why does this matter to a tax audience? And, and if you think about it, even though it's happening in the energy and commerce jurisdiction and it's sort of an overlapping health jurisdiction with the tax committees, um if you think about what their internal math is, and I say internal because this isn't what the scorekeepers are giving, but if you looked at what Ways and Means was um, playing out, how they how they're, Calling this a paid for 3.5 trillion, um, a good 20% of that is is supposed to be money coming from this drug pricing fix, and so you know the 700 billion dollars that they're counting on for this is is pretty substantial. Um, they were able to get some redundancy by passing it through the Ways and Means Committee, but I think what this is facing, and quite frankly, why you had three people defect, as Yasmin mentioned, um, that's based on the expectation that this is going to have a tough time in the Senate. Why? vote for something that's going to end up stripped out and end up hurting you. So I think it, it's emblematic of a lot of the tensions going on. Um, you know, most of it isn't coming to a head in the markup. Most of this was left on the cutting room floor. And I think that's one of the most interesting things happening in the Ways and Means Committee is the things that are not in the bill uh, compared to what was. It was a robust package, but there were a lot of things that, that perhaps might be coming back in the Senate or at least, uh, you know, Wyden's making indications
1: to that effect. Right. And the, the big news at Ways and Means this week, aside from passing the, the framework for uh, the tax titles that are going to be in this reconciliation package, in addition to the other things within their jurisdiction, was um, you had this dropping of a major provision that was supported by the administration uh, as part of their capital gains overhaul. Um, can you elaborate a little bit more on, on what happened there and, and what you guys saw playing out? Yeah, I think this is
2: one that, um, you know, it's, it's both a little bit inscrutable. It's not a, a section of the code that everybody's paying attention to on a daily basis. And so if you just tuned in, you just saw a wham-bam public-facing campaign in the last couple weeks that culminated, and as you said, this being left out of the package. Right, this
1: is the the, the op-ed from former Senator Heidi Heitkamp in the Wall Street Journal.
2: Exactly, and if you, were, if you were not otherwise oriented to it, you would have thought this came out of the blue. It very much did not. This is a big um, a big multifaceted element of the Biden plan, and I say multifaceted because um, this isn't just about uh, the, the, you know, we talk about step up in basis. We talk about, you know, the the capital gains treatment at death. The reason you have to do that is because it limits what you can do with the overall capital gains rate. If you can't fix what they call the lock-in problem of people dying and passing things on and having that go on tax, then the revenue maximizing rate of the capital gains um, tax is much lower, and so, to do what President Biden wanted to do, tax capital gains and investment income at ordinary rates, you could only do that if you did this step up in basis cap- taxing capital gains at death or creating you know making death a, a, a realization event. Um, this did not just come in into play in September. Immediately when that was floated, you had important groups with with key bipartisan constituencies um, fired up their grassroots and started, you know, doing the real behind the scenes work back in April when this was floated. And the the you know, the group I, I point to the most is the American Farm Bureau, because if you look at where the opposition came from, where the letters came from in Congress. And again, this is playing out in the month's leading up to now, um, it was very much agricultural districts. It was very much members of the Ag Committee. Indeed, when this went down, the chairman of the Ag Committee, David Scott, put out a press release uh, sort of uh, taking taking a victory lap. So, um, you know, I think there's a lot of questions of, of how this um, should be framed and whether the administration would have taken care of, of farms and ranches. But they were very much uh, the face of the opposition. And it was successful. And I think it's a, you know, a pretty good indication of how. Solid advocacy campaigns work, and, and how you get things left on the cutting room floor.
3: Well, you know, uh, you brought up the chairman of the House Agriculture Committee. I, I mean, in the in the in the actual committee markup, he mentioned that it would be devastating to include a provision that would change the way we we uh, tax death, right? And uh, or step up in basis, you know. And so it's it's just very interesting how you could have the president pushing for Uh, A provision like this, but but in his party, uh, have have such strong statements uh, about something like it. Uh, Although I will mention, you know, the the White House has made compromises, right? They have these these kind of exemptions for farmers and family businesses of up to two point five, I think it's million dollars. And so, um, you know, leadership definitely will have to work really delicately to balance this kind of dissent among their party, but. Um, you know, like you mentioned, Liam, it's, it, this is a very important piece uh, of how to actually get the revenue that they need, uh, in in order to, to make this, this, this overall package work.
2: That might be the most interesting thing to me is, um, the fact they were able to leave this out and only have a 25% capital gains rate and still Neil put together a package that really does, you know, the math does add up. You can get within sort of spitting distance, at least dy- dynamic scoring distance of the 3.5 trillion. So so they did a, an impressive job of laying out the menu of options while still compromising, as, as Yasmin said. And uh, so, you know, we'll see, if, so we'll see how, what the Senate does. Of course, they're not going to have a markup process. It's not going to be public facing. And that's probably the most interesting thing about this week is we're seeing all this action plan. Playing out on the House side, and that's a lot of that's for show. Uh, nobody quite knows what's happening in the Senate, uh, except for some of the reports we're seeing coming out of the the policy lunches and that kind of thing. So I think we're very much in a wait and see mode, because both of these chambers seem to be still playing the game of, of leverage, of trying to go as big as possible, and wait until the last minute to make any kind of broader compromises. And nobody quite knows the timetable or the demands that the holdouts have.
1: Yeah, I was going to ask, does this step up uh, provision come back in the Senate in some form. There was a document uh, the other week floated for a, a $5 million exemption, which is significantly higher than what the White House had proposed. And then an even higher exemption um, is, seems to be on the table for, for family farms. Um, does it maybe find its way back uh, with those exemptions? Or is uh, Finance Committee Chairman Ron Wyden going to find revenue from, from somewhere else? I'd say two things on that.
2: Well, first of all, they don't really necessarily need more revenue. Of course, like he's going to have his own approach to this. But look, they have all the revenue they theoretically need here. Right. Um, As long as they kept that prescription drug stuff on the rails, they have their they can make the math work here. The Senate might have other ideas how to approach it, but they already have the revenue they need. So they don't need more revenue. The higher the exemptions go, the less revenue you raise. And of course, if you're only going at 25% on the capital gains rate, you don't have to do this. So pissing off farmers, pissing off small business and and the the lobbies thereof doesn't make a ton of sense just out of the principle of doing this. And so I think – if you're not willing to go to the mat to do your 40% capital gains rate, then it almost doesn't make a whole lot of sense. So even if – and I think there's there's two layers to the question. What Wyden does in his recommendations might be different than what comes out in the final package, and I think those might be two different things, not least because you know we're talking a lot about the House and those members making noise on this, but John Tester was asked specifically about the exemptions that you mentioned, and he's like, no, that's still going to be devastating to farms and ranches. So I don't think there's a way to kind of – Car, you know, carve out your way out of this, um, particularly because. The Farm Bureau feels like they're winning on this. Why would they compromise? And as long as there's opposition there, that's what these guys are responding to.
3: Yeah, I think that's I think that's that's one hundred percent correct here. Um, you know, the, the, why pick a fight if you don't need it? You know, and and uh, certainly the 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 White House and Democratic leadership have enough fights to kind of uh, that the, you know to to go around. So it's it's really not necessary. Um, and so I, I I foresee very similar to Liam here that this kind of dies out. This does not become a part of the end-all end package.
1: Yeah, and it also, it. why would the Senate reintroduce it when the chairman of the Ways and Means Committee has said there aren't 218 votes to, to pass it in the House? It'd be kind of the reverse dynamic of what you all talked on before, which is uh, the House kind of traditionally voting on these um, tax provisions or, or other provisions that then don't go anywhere in the Senate and that becoming sort of politically damaging to them uh, without actually making the change that they are taking that risk for. So it's not clear whether we're going to have a Finance Committee markup. Are you guys expecting to see text out of the Senate for w- how they plan to, to raise these revenues next week? Or are we going to continue to play the waiting game?
3: I think the 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 Senate Finance Committee has been working very, very diligently. And so, you know, I can't imagine that there is, uh, you know, that they're going to be waiting very long. I think that you know we'll we'll have more answers from the finance committee sometime next week, um, and and this is just from my own experience, right? Um, I, I haven't necessarily asked any, any particular questions of the committee um, to do so, um, but now that it's top of mind, I may I may go ahead and do that, Colin, um, and and we'll have to we'll have to uh, follow up with you on it for sure.
2: Yeah, I don't expect to, I don't expect to see to see the markups just based on. I mean. Based on what we saw in the house, a, t- a tie doesn't really help you when you're trying to advance these things, and so uh, going through a messy public-facing um, consideration of things that might not be, you know, be able to get 50 votes it doesn't make a lot of sense in terms of when we see it. You know, because there's two things going on here. The deadline was yesterday. Schumer indicated that they would make this. People have gone off for holiday. Where things stand isn't entirely clear. And saying that they were due to leadership is different than saying they're due to be seen by the general public. So, um, you know, with the president calling um, uh, you know, uh, Senators Mansion and Sinema to the principal's office uh, earlier in the week. I think that gives some indication that they're trying to move things along, but I don't have a great sense of when we'll see anything out of the Senate. And even when we do, going back to the point with, I think Wyden's going to do what Wyden's going to do without necessarily consideration of what's going to get to 50 in the same way that the House is doing what, what the House is going to do with the understanding that things are going to uh, happen in the back room. There's going to have to be some triage. But until we have the terms of the people who are are not currently on board it doesn't make sense to negotiate with yourself
3: well i think i think you know just to kind of add to that is that you know we've been hearing pretty publicly from 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 manchin right on what he won't uh you know agree to uh, you know last sunday i think he went on a, a few different talk shows to kind of share his opinion and and kind of do that i can't imagine that we won't hear from folks like him over the next week um as things start to kind of boil up and rise, you know, uh I believe it was last week that we got a release of what Senate finance is looking at for, for revenue raisers. And so when I when I mean that I think we'll see some things coming out of the committee, it, it may not be, you know, an exact markup of, 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 of any bills, but it'll we'll certainly be hearing some more things as um as the time um progresses and I and I certainly think it will come from finance.
1: Wait, Senator Senators like to talk.
3: Right.
2: (laughs) Well, and Yasmin, as as Yasmin says, you know, I, I think the. I mean each chamber has its own prerogatives and I think they're going to they're, – they're going to want to put their stamp on this. And I think um, as she mentioned, some of the things that have been flowed out there. You've done some reporting on some of these things, things that were left out of the house either consciously or just because they didn't consider it. Wyden's putting those back on the table and I think that's a way – if you – the more you add to the menu, the more likely it is that some of these things stick. They're not all going to end up in the final package. Um, again, you don't need more revenue but the more options you have, the more kind of optionality you have when it comes to – okay. Okay, Joe Manchin, you don't like this piece of revenue. What about this? And so I think that's that's part of what the goal is: throw all of the revenue options you have, and at the end of the day, you can build out the biggest possible
1: package that can get you fifty and two eighteen. Does that also run the risk of of maybe raising the bar too high? Uh, because I mean, we're talking about the revenue side more, but that's also being matched up with um, like refundable tax credits uh, and other provisions that uh, Democrats hope to fund um are they maybe setting running the risk of of setting expectations a little bit too high for a package that could come down to like i think senator manchin's talking about you know 1.5 trillion
3: well i I will say this, I think that, you know, uh, Manchin mentioned a few things that he wanted to see and for, you know, some of the key priorities for Democrats, right? The extended tax credits and, and things like that. Uh, he wanted to see, you know, means testing for that. Um, there have been a number of reports and, and articles that, that share, um, you know, just the kind of data he's looking for for that. And so it's, it's going to take uh, a lot from the White House, a lot from leadership to, to get Manchin um to to come up from 1.5 trillion uh, you know it is it that 1.5 trillion number is is a number that he kind of Came up with himself, right? It's 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 not it's not from he he hasn't shared any priorities or or anything like that that would um, have anyone to understanding why that number is. Uh, but you know uh, he he definitely is pointing to the fact that he thinks that there's a lot of spending going on. There's uh, six hundred billion still um, waiting to be used, and Mansion um, seems to note that at every chance that that he gets. Liam, did you have anything you want to
2: add? <laughs> no, I'll, I'll, I'll take the bait here because Gasm's being very diplomatic and she's exactly right. Like, I don't <laughs> argue with anything, but I think what you laid out, uh, Colin, the, the framing of the question is the biggest challenge Democrats have. I think they've let, they've let, for various reasons, I don't know that they could have done this any other way, but for various reasons, they have had to kept, keep the dream alive of 3.5 trillion. And I think that has led to expectations getting out of whack. And the biggest impediment to taking a big win on what is something that would have been unthinkable back in January even before the ARP. And I think that's quite frankly where expectations got a little bit out of whack was how easily they got the the one point nine trillion with ARP and how smoothly it happened. Then it's like, oh we have fifty votes and, and two hundred, you know, twenty one, we can get whatever we want and we're just gonna, you know, write the bill and it'll be fine. And so I think to that end it makes it much trickier when you do have, I mean as as Yasmin mentioned there's a pretty broad those are narrow margins with a really broad ideological spectrum there and it means that every single vote in the Senate and every tiny rump in the House is incredibly important and so um, I do think that progressives in particular need to get comfortable with the idea that 2 trillion or let's pick a number but that's a really big win for them and they need to figure out how they can turn that into the best thing they've ever seen.
0: Those were the voices of Liam Donovan and Yasmin Nelson, both with the law firm Bracewell. They were speaking with Bloomberg Taxes' Colin Wilhelm. And by the way, if you're interested in these two, each of them have their own podcasts that are totally worth checking out. Liam's is called The Lobby Shop, and Yasmin's podcast is called Madam Policy. Definitely worth a listen. For the latest on tax and accounting developments, check out our website, news.bloombergtax.com. That website, once again, is news.bloombergtax.com. And if you have any thoughts about what you just heard, get in touch with us on Twitter. We use the handle at tax. Talking Tax is produced by myself, David Schultz. Patrick Ambrosio is our editor. Our executive producer is Josh Block from Washington. I'm David Schultz. Thanks for listening.
3: Those nine justices in Washington, they can be pretty hard to keep track of. That's where we come in.
0: I'm Jordan Rubin.
3: And I'm Kimberly Robinson.
2: On our podcast, Cases and Controversies, we give you a week-by-week accounting of the Supreme Court.
3: The filings, the arguments, the opinions, and much, much more.
2: So check in on Fridays with Cases and Controversies to find out what's coming up on the horizon at the Supreme Court. Download and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.